If you're visiting today, we're glad that you are here. We have been studying since August the person and work of Christ as is recorded in the book of Mark. In fact, Mark in the very first verse of this gospel says it's no ordinary uh, biography. He calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. Now what's important to understand when you hear the preaching of the word or you read the word or you read the gospels and certainly what Mark is uh, shooting for is he not only wants you to hear or to read but at some point because what we learn through the gospels is the very blood of God in the person of Christ that must be shed in order for us to enter into the presence of God you either have to reject this all out or you have to completely surrender to it. For as C.S. Lewis says, it's Christianity and Jesus Christ cannot be moderately important. One or the other. Now this morning, we come to a very important uh, place in the book of Mark. As Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees for the fourth time. Uh, he has already been confronted three times in chapter, twice in chapter 2, once in chapter 3. Now he has the big dogs coming. The Pharisees who come down from Jerusalem, the creme de la creme of these uh, supposed theologians. And the reason that they have come is to catch Jesus Christ in an inconsistency to say that he is abrogating the law of Moses so that they can bring people back under the, the oppression of legalism. But it's in this confrontation that Jesus, let me tell you, puts a dagger in the heart of all religious systems. You'll see this very clearly. He puts a dagger in the heart of all of you this morning who would seek to justify yourselves by cleaning the outside of the cup. Jesus came to liberate. And you know what? Religious people and people who preach a false gospel in the name of Jesus Christ never liberates. And might I suggest this morning, if you do not feel the liberations of the gospel through the work of the Spirit and the finished work of Christ and resting in Him alone, I'm going to tell you, I know you're a slave. Jesus taught that God saved sinners and Pharisees taught that sinners could not be saved. So if you're a sinner, there's good news for you in this text. So if you would, I want you to turn to uh, this passage. Now we here at believe, uh, Redeemer believe that the Bible is the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, and therefore must be listened to. Immediately now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? 
but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? As it is written, These, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me in Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things, many such things do you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside does not defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft and murder and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these things come from within. And they defile a person. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in the moments that we have, We thank you that we've done many things in this service. And we have just read the Gospels from the mouth of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we know that apart from the work of your Spirit in these children's lives who've been baptized, of your continued work, uh, and those uh, who've joined this church by your grace, uh, Lord, it's all in vain. The reading of your Word and the preaching of your Word, and even when your Word is preached... Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot speak nor can we understand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to sinners today that they might put down their dastardly good deeds and cast themselves upon Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And we ask this in your name. Amen. I don't know why I'm like this, but uh, 
I've always liked the news. I like current events. And, I, and when I was a kid, uh, like in the third, fourth grade, uh, I always liked the, the social studies classes. And the teacher would bring newspaper articles in and read about current events. I love that. Matter of fact, I remember uh, 1964, LBJ and Lyndon Baines Johnson running for president. And I remember thinking about that at about eight or nine years old. I thought that was very interesting. Now we have the Internet. So I have a hard time getting anything done because I can keep up with everything currently, right now, at the moment. But now more than ever, as we think about the information that we get, we have to ask, well, what is the source of your information? What is the source? Where are you getting this from? And so you can turn to different channels on the news and you kind of know the particular slant that you might get, right? And so the question begins to be asked, well, if, if you get a story, what is, the, what, is the, what is your source? And we're kind of longing for journalists again, right? To at least just give me the facts. Well, this is what this text is about. <laughs> it's about source. We know this, that when we, uh, when we uh, try to get a source for somebody that uh, is kind of truthful, tells the truth, tends to tell the truth, we tend to feel a whole lot more better about what, you know, maybe that's the truth versus talking to somebody who, who's here at Redeemer this morning that tends to be a gossip, that tends to be a liar. And you say, well, who did you get this from? And anybody would go, well, I, I, I think I'd rather believe this story over here. Well, today our text talks about uh, a source uh, that affects all of us, and that is the heart of mankind. Your heart and my heart. Now, what's interesting here in our text? As Jesus and the Pharisees uh, begin to confront one another, there, there is this one thing that they agree upon. They agree, obviously, upon the fact that we are flawed. That there's something wrong with us. Uh, both Jesus and the religious leaders of that day would have known the scriptures. Obviously, Jesus did. He, he wrote them. But he also learned them as a human being, day by day. But they knew Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Both Jesus and the Pharisees would agree that our contemporary culture uh, that believes that man's inherently good... We're basically good people, right? And all we need is a little bit more education. We need a little, uh, a little bit more uh, classes on self-esteem, a little bit more counseling. And then eventually we will create this utopian society where we all get along, right? Oh, sure, you have my stuff. They, they, they both would say that's ridiculous. That all you have to do is look at the history of mankind to the time of Christ and from the time of Christ to right now and what is empirically verifiable is that there's something deeply wrong with that way of thinking. But let me tell you where they disagreed. They disagreed on how to deal with the source. How to deal with the problem of sin. For the Pharisees... They felt like a sin is manageable, and so you deal with it from the outside in, and so there is a sense where they believed in reformation, that we just need to reform ourselves. 
And I fall into this all the time. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be nicer this week. Do you ever do that? I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be more, I'm, you know, patience, yes. And you realize that it's not about reformation. Because at the source of who we are, apart from the grace of God, is the things that Jesus is going to tell us about. But Jesus tells us in our text that it's from the inside out. It starts with a source. He understands the source of your problem today. Like if you, if you have all these pathologies and you've never heard the gospel and you're here and you're going, how do I deal with this? Or am I going to come to Redeemer and they're going to tell me to try harder? No, that will increase your pathologies. What Jesus desires to do is to get at the root of the matter, which is your heart. That's very clearly what our text is teaching. Now, I'm going to give you the points, but let me give you the context and say one other thing before I give you the points. The context is this. The Pharisees have come down. Man, the Jerusalem guys, and their desire is to unnerve him. They're going to make a fool of him. Because they are absolutely confident that they are right. They are the religious leaders. They know what's right. They know not him. Which is what always religious people do. They, they come into your lives and, and maybe you know some people that are religious people that you think are Christians, but they're just conservative people. They're not gospel people. And so they come in. I don't care if they're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or non-denominational. But you see, they don't understand this teaching. And they're working from the outside in. And they come into your life and they're there to unnerve you, to set themselves up, to establish their own sense of well-being and self-esteem. Making everybody else feel miserable, right? Well, they come to unnerve Jesus, but not only do they come to unnerve Jesus, they come to catch him. Because he's upsetting the system of oppression that they have set up that doesn't lead to freedom, but leads to misery. And they want to come down there, polish him off, and eventually catch him so they can get him crucified, be done with him, and get back to the status quo of being religious people. But not Jesus. Matter of fact, he's going to turn the tables on them. He's going to show them that he's the theologian. You know why? Because he's the living God. And he understood about Moses and the law and how it was supposed to operate. He understands that for you today. He can be the surgeon of your soul if, you've, if you're thinking that there's some way that you're going to reform your marriage by trying harder. Or reform your ways by trying harder. Don't do it. Is the law good? Absolutely the law is good. And we'll see that Jesus does not abrogate the law. He fulfills the law by taking its curse. And sometimes I think of the law. If the law were a human being, which is not, it's the law of God. But I think sometimes law is going, listen, I can't help you. I can only expose your need of Christ. And when you're filled with the Spirit and come to Christ, then it is that I can be there. Well, so that's the context. And here's the proposition. If you are ever to understand our utter need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you must comprehend what our Lord emphatically states about the source of your problem. There, there will never be gospel joy. There will never be sharing of the gospel 
There'll never be holiness of life if you don't understand that you, you, there's nothing there for you to get. only thing you can do is come to Christ constantly, readily, understanding your need for your union with him and repenting. The people ask me all the time, say, why do you preach the gospel all the time? Well, I mean, it seems like everything you, see, you, know, you preach and preach, I need a little bit more instruction. Well, I agree with that. But whatever the instructions are, the way I look at it is you're trying to move uh, uh, toward Christian. I want more te- Christian teaching and you're tying the gospel horse to the hitching post while you and your flesh go about going, okay, I don't need to hear that anymore. And so what can we see from our, our text? So here's the three things I want us to see. The source of man's problem. Man's solution to the problem. Maybe what you've bought into and you, and, and you had to drag yourself come church today because you still don't understand the gospel. And then the last thing is the gospel solution to this very, very big problem that you have if you do not know Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing to see is this, is the source of all man's problems. Now, we both agree that the Pharisees and Jesus think that human beings have problems, that, they have, that they're flawed. That man is unclean. Now we see this uh, from the Pharisee side, uh, you see, when they ask the question. And here's the question they ask. They say, why are your disciples not washing their hands? So they get the idea that there's, a, there's a, a, an, a, this thing about uncleanness. But, but they're not talking about hygiene here. They're, they're referring back to Exodus and Numbers uh, about the, the ceremonial laws, the, the cleansing rituals, before people could come in and to worship God. They had to be cleansed. In fact, you ought to try a study of it. It's kind of frightening in a way. And, uh, and there, were, there were three kind of things that they were always concerned about, about being cleansed before you entered into the presence of God. One was uh, stuff that ushered out of your body. It's pretty graphic in uh, Numbers 5. Like if you had pus that was coming out of your hand, then you had to wait for a week, and then you had to do the cleansings before you entered into the presence of God. And then things that were dead. If you touched things that were dead, then you were ceremonially unclean. And, you, and before you could enter into the presence of God, you had to go through these uh, uh, the cleansings, and then... And then uh, You'd have to wait a week. Uh, and then there was also not only the, uh, the dirt, uh, I mean the, the disease and death, but there was also dirt. If, you, if there was mold in your house or various kinds of things that, that were dirty, then you would have to clean that up before you could come uh, into the presence of God. Now, for some of us, we go, well, that's kind of archaic, right? We don't do ceremonial laws. But I want you to think about something. We do that physically, don't we? Y'all seen the, uh, uh, I see my dentist back here, Dr. Brown. And have y'all seen the commercial where the guy's got his mouth open? And the dentist is working on him and he sneezes in his mouth? Right. And you go, oh my goodness. Well, you know, uh, if I'm going to have a relationship with Dr. Brown, I would hope that he wouldn't sneeze in my mouth when my mouth's open. 
Because you see, uh, I want to have a relationship with Dr. Brown. And it is my, my, uh, my fault that he's been trained and that he washes his hands and he cleans himself up so that we can be in a relationship with each other. You see, anything that smells bad, right, keeps us from a relationship. Um, you know, when I used to do carpentry work, I quit firming for a while and, you know, trying to figure things out. And I did carpentry work for a couple of years. About the main, the same time, I was uh, dating my wife, Mary Beth. And uh, so in the summertime, she'd come up from Stetson. I was working in the summers, 100 degrees. And, man, I just couldn't wait to see her. So I didn't go home and shower first. I would just come on by. And I couldn't smell myself. But she could. And she was like, hey, you know, I'm not real picky here. I'm really not. And she's not. My wife's awesome. But you might want to take a shower first. You see, things unclean break the relationship. And so really all these ceremonial laws, all they're really pointing to is what we really know with each other, don't we? That all they're, they're, they're pointing to is the fact that we know that somehow that we're defiled and we're unclean, right? And if you're not a Christian, you're trying to get rid of your uncleanness by maybe running a lot. Taking those, uh, you know, purging yourself from time to time. Trying to be a little bit more beautiful so that maybe your beauty, some form of performance will bring you to the point where you can be brought into a relationship, you see. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. Don't you know somehow down deep there's something wrong with us? Even for the man or woman who's known the Lord Jesus Christ for a long, long time, there is still the remaining vestiges of those things that are filthy and dirty, coveting and greed, and, and they separate us from our loved ones. I love my wife. She loves me. We get disconnected. You know what it usually is? What's this word called sin that people don't like to talk about? Well, that's the first thing that I think is pretty clear to see from our text uh, is that uh, there's a problem with a source. Now, there's another problem, though. And this is where Jesus and the Pharisees begin to greatly divide. And that is man's solution to the problem. And then what we're going to see is the gospel solution to the problem. Well, what is man's solution to the problem? Well, we see it. It can be both religious or irreligious. I don't have time to talk about the irreligious. But since I'm in the South, let me deal with the religious side of it. What did they do? Well, they started creating these rules and regulations. It didn't say the scripture. It said the tradition of the elders. Okay? And the purpose of the tradition of the elders were that they were so afraid that they would break the law that they build these fences around the law. And so you begin to look at the fences and all these things that say, well, I'm okay. All right, well, I covet a lot, but you know what? I don't go to R-rated movies. I lie a lot, but uh, I have the uh, covenant eyes on my, on my computer so I don't look at pornography. And so you start building all these fences... that keep you from the very thing 
that will lead you to Jesus Christ. And what were they doing? They were building uh, fences around the law of God and because the purpose of the law is to reveal to you how filthy we are. And I got to, he doesn't have to give but 10 commandments to show you that. And so what happens to you if you forget the source is the problem is your corruption and you start going, well, I can't really see that. I can't deal with that. And so you go to some of these churches that don't make you think a whole lot. And you go, okay, don't go to movies, don't dance, don't smoke, don't do whatever, right? And you feel very good about yourself. In fact, I've had people tell me, you know what? What you say is too easy because you're saying it costs me nothing. But when they think about cost, they trivialize the ravages of their own heart. And their own sin. What is their cost? Well, I can't go to movies. Or I can't do that. I can't do that. You put the can't do's down there. Now, the reason a lot of you are angry at Christianity is because you have the wrong Christianity. That's not Christianity. Now, how do I see that in this text? Jesus turns the table on them. He says, through your traditions, right? Through your traditions, you are in contrast, you're running contrary to the very law of God. And so he took one of their traditions. He could have taken hundreds and hundreds of them. You ought to read the, the Mishnah and some of these uh, commentaries of the Old Testament by Jewish writers. It'd blow your mind, all the rules and regulations, this and that. And you think, we got rules down south. <laughs> you have no idea. You'd feel good about yourself as a southerner. Reading that stuff. But here's one that he gets. He just takes one. And what is the one that he takes? These people who are to honor their mother and father, who really want to show how committed they are, and they give everything to God, and they make a vow on it. And so when their parents get sick, or, or their brother, or their aunt, and they got all this money, you know what? It's all locked up because of their commitment to God. Did y'all say that's love of mom and dad? Your aunts or your uncles? So Jesus is saying that your traditions are completely running con- contrary to the law of God. Now, I wish I could elaborate on this, but we're going to have to take communion here in a moment, and I need to get to the gospel. Let me tell you why God gave Ten Commandments. Because you see, we're already dead in Adam. You know, the, if you read the Bible, there, the, I'm just tell you right now, if you never heard this, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. When Adam came, he, he, he was the one who was the mediator. And he would bring life or death. And in his sin, he died and he became corrupted. And let me tell you what, you died in him, that real person. And so if in any way you're trying to, to satisfy uh, the, the righteousness of God by any kind of works, well, that, that has already been abrogated. You're already dead in Adam. And let me tell you how you know that you're guilty in Adam. Legally, in him, it's over with, is you've got his corruption. So not only do you have original guilt, you have original corruption. And what is the corruption that you have? 
Well, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're going, man, I, I really do want to love so-and-so. I really want to care about the poor. Park view over here. I'm, I'm telling you, every time you ride by here, is our, I think we're supposed to be thinking about our neighbors. But if you're so busy over here going, well, I didn't go to this and I didn't do that, but you don't think about people who are over there eating ramen noodles before the week's out, before the, the month's out. Then you, you see... It abrogates everything, but it's abrogated anyway because we are all dead in Adam and corrupt in him. So you know what God does years later? He brings Moses as a mediator, a type of Christ, to mediate and to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. And then he brings down the law to be like God, to know God. And guess what? They couldn't do it. But later we learn... When Jesus Christ comes, he is the second Adam and the purpose of the Ten Commandments was to kill you. <laughs> it's to condemn you. It, it, not to condemn you. You're already condemned. Jesus says that in John 3. You're already condemned. You're already condemned. He said, I didn't come in the world to condemn you people here at Redeemer Presbyterian this morning. I didn't do that. You're already condemned. You're born condemned. I came to the world so that the world might be saved through me. And the purpose of the Ten Commandments that they are trivializing is to absolutely point you to your need to let go of your self-righteousness and your unrighteousness and to embrace the second Adam who came on our behalf. Wow, I wish I could expand more on this. But you know, Jesus said, it's not what goes into you that corrupts you, it's what comes out. And then what does he compare our soul to? A latrine. How do you like to think about that, about positive, power positive thinking? He compares Jesus Christ, the Son of God, compares things that come out of our heart. Yeah, you do nice things. I do some nice things. But do you ever do things that really blow your mind? Do you ever do things? And I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about pornography or, or fornicating and all this stuff that we take so lightly now. I'm just talking about, I ain't gonna like that person. They did that to me. I'm not gonna forgive that person. And you see, Jesus Christ has come to say, you're trying to reform yourself. Because what comes out of you is the source, and the source is wicked. It cannot be reformed. But let me tell you right now, dear friends, as we come to the Lord's table. Jesus Christ comes to you who are sinners today. And I don't care what you've done. Abortions, maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you've been hooked on pornography. Maybe you're fornicating right now. And fornicating, that's an old word, right? It means like having sex outside the context of marriage. Having affairs. You, put, you students, you, when you're sleeping together, fornicating before you're married. All, all these things. I, and you might get, well, maybe your problem is I've never done that. But you hate people. And you're getting a sense that there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, yes, there is. Because something's been done about it 2,000 years ago. He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You know, all those ceremonial cleanings. It was the high priest that was supposed to do it as the representative. And they say, oh, 
They get away from the mediator and they go, oh, then we must do that. Jesus Christ is the high priest 2,000 years ago who entered through the veil and took the curse for us, wicked people. And he buried it. And he's raised from the dead. And if you, by faith, would look to Jesus Christ this morning, he will transform you. He'll make you new. He'll take, you know, give your heart to Jesus. He doesn't want it. It's no good. But Jeremiah 31 says, there's a day's coming, I'll take out a heart of stone and I'll put it in a heart of flesh and you'll be converted and you'll be made new. Inside out, not outside in. Would you come to Christ today? And if you profess to be a believer, but you, you just kind of uh, still always angry and bitter and mad, would you understand that you're forgetting, you're hooking the gospel horse up to the hitch and trying to live Christian principles without the horse or the gospel? Ride the horse. Union with Jesus. Don't die in your sins. Don't die in your self-righteousness nor your unrighteousness, but rest in the righteousness of Christ. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we are so grateful for the good news of the gospel that the work has been accomplished 2,000 years ago. Help people understand by your spirit that this morning they are either in Adam or in Christ. Father, would you move people from being in Adam and seeking to establish a righteousness of their own? Would you use the law of God right now to condemn them, to show them there's no hope so that they might turn and see Jesus Christ saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And, oh, Lord God, I pray for those who've known you for some time, but their hearts have grown hard. By trying to live through biblical principles versus the gospel, that gives them the grace and the energy to love the law of God and to serve the law of God. So, Lord, as we come this morning, would you send revival here today? Have mercy upon us, for we know that you are a merciful God to little children who say, Father, I have soiled my hands again. Would you receive me today? And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.